to Psalm 29.2, if you will. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, and thank you, Barnett's, and thank you all for being here. Thank you so much. Psalm 29, and the second verse is a significant verse in my life. The last phrase in that verse is, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Notice the psalmist says, Give to the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give him glory and strength. Worship him in the beauty of holiness. God is a beautiful God. And everything he touches brings beauty into it yes. and produces beauty through it. It's interesting when you think about this phrase, the psalmist is calling us to do more than show up for Sabbath worship. The word for worship here doesn't mean just corporate worship like we're doing tonight. It means to serve him. If you will, you could change that word and say, serve the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I have to confess to you that <clears throat> the word holiness is not a word I often use outside the church. And there's a reason for that. There's a fundamental reason for that. We are holiness people, and I'm not embarrassed about that. That's right. at the heart of our message. But if you take time when you get home tonight to Google holiness, you'll find that we're not high on the list. You would find uh, the Pope there. You'd find the Dalai Lama there. You might find GBS. But I think you understand what I'm trying to say. If you've, if you've been around the church world very long, Words mean different things in different places. And yet the God we serve identifies himself as a holy God. He is holy. And out of the heart of who he is then rises how he impacts us, how he marks our lives. We're called to worship him in the, or serve him in the beauty of of holiness. Wherever the Spirit goes, we touched on this last night, but wherever the Spirit is ministering with, with the approval and the cooperation with the people with whom He's working, wherever He's working, there's, there's, there's a loveliness, there's a beauty, there's a richness, there's a depth. To worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness is to serve Him in the glory of who He is. And what that glory produces, not only in him, but through him to us. Let's just spend a few minutes this evening looking at, and this obviously is not exhaustive, but to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness is to begin to see the inspiration of God's presence and ministry in our lives to righteousness. To righteousness. Now, when you talk about righteousness, people, you can you see their minds running, and it's like, what does that mean? Well, it's there's a 
maybe I illustrate it this way. There's a, a little phrase in Jesus' ministry when he told his followers that their righteousness needed to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember that? He said, your righteousness needs to exceed that. Well, what does that mean? They were, they were attempting to live by the law. And we ought to live in obedience to the word of God as well. And we're going to talk about that. But what did, it, what did it mean when Jesus said to his followers, your righteousness exceeds, must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? It means this. In the old covenant, I mean, it more, it's more than this, but for illustration's sake. In the old covenant, to, to live righteously meant you kept the law. So if you were a merchant, you bought and sold with the same set of weights for your scale. If you were not righteous, you 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 know you, you bought differently than you sold. <laughs> you know you didn't you, you put your thumb on the scale so you could get more money from a woman buying a chicken, and you kind of wanted to raise the scale when you were buying. But a but a righteous Jew, in the technical sense, a righteous Jew was a person who lived by the law. He kept the law, even if it cost him something. So when Jesus says to us, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, what does he mean by that? Well, he means, not only do I keep the law, but I want to. I, I, sometimes I get in trouble because I, I trust people because I think that's what you ought to do. And I assume, particularly people that are testifying to be Christians, that they ought, they're righteous. And so if they're selling to me, they're selling honestly. <laughs> are you all still here? So the righteousness, if you will, is the outliving. It's the rightness. You would not want to serve or know a God who is unrighteous. I don't think many of us have spent time contemplating that, but imagine, imagine a God that you bow before and follow him who is capricious and who would cut you off at a bad time, who would do you harm just for the joy of doing you harm. That's... That's unrighteousness. But the God we serve is a God who is righteous. And the foundation of, of our understanding of who he is, of the expression of himself, is seen throughout the scripture. In fact, that's why it's given to us. Remember that John wrote in, in 1 John that uh, he, the word, Jesus Christ, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's not just poetry. John's telling us that Jesus Christ is God's communication to humanity. He's, he's talking to us if we'll listen. I hear people say, I wish God talked to me. Well, he, he is. Right here. Any day you read it, he'll talk to you. He'll also talk to you through the Spirit and through prayer and through friends and through ministry. Jesus Christ is God's communication. 
And, he, and he's giving us an understanding of who he is to kind of encapsulate the foundation of that as, as God brought Israel out of Egypt and took them to the land of Canaan. You know what happened. They got out of Egypt. They got across the Red Sea and he led them up to a place called Mount Sinai and they camped there for a very long time. And for years I wondered, why, why, did, why didn't he just take them to Canaan? I mean, that's, that's how I think it should have been done. I mean, if I'm going to do something, I want it done yesterday. You know? <laughs> I do. I really do. It's like, what, what are you waiting on? But God knew something. He knew that his people had been 400 years in Egypt and that they had adopted the philosophy and the values and the life of the Egyptians among whom they had lived. And so he brought them to Sinai, not just to show them the fire on the mountain, not just to have them feel the mountain shaking because of his presence. That had value, but that's not really why he was there. He was there to teach them who he was and to show them who they were. You see, he told them, I am one God, just one God. They'd been living among a people who had hundreds of gods. In fact, that's, that's almost all about what the plagues were about. It's God showing Israel and Egypt that he's a God over flies and toads and frogs and whatever else, hail. That's, he's, that's not who he is. He's beyond that. He's one God. He also is reminding them that he has one name. And by the way, names matter. Be careful how you casually communicate about who God is. Don't take his name in vain. He's teaching them. He's talking about one day. And what he was trying to teach them is to honor him. It's a day set aside to honor, to worship him. He, and he, of course you know that he talks about parents. He talks about truth. He talks about what we speak. He talks about covetousness. He talks about fornication. What's he doing? He's teaching them this is who I am. I am a God who cares about you personally, individually. Anytime you break a commandment, this message not on the commandments, but we could stop and spend a while here, but anytime, anytime you break a commandment, you're violating either God or another person, their personhood. God thinks highly of you as a person. Your personhood has incredible value. That's why the church... That's why the church looks at society differently than society does. Personhood's going down the drain. We need to hold high the value of every person. God's teaching them. You see, he's teaching them that he is consistent. I love that. I'll never forget when I really, it really dawned on me that the God I serve doesn't change the rules every week. 
We were talking last night to Barnett's after service, and we were talking about our, the families we came from. And I came out of a home where the rules changed about, if not every week, at least once a month. You want to destroy a kid, do that to him. Have him forever be questioning what's right or wrong or whether I can do this or could do that. But the God we serve never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Who he was a hundred years ago is who he'll be in another hundred years if he tarries. I can't dare stop. He's holy. He's set aside. He's different from us. But he's also holy in the sense that he's moral. He's not sensuous. He doesn't live by his emotions. He's who he is because that's the core of who he is. He's righteous. He's personable. <laughs> he's not rude. I've been around a few places. I need a, I need a Kleenex. I thought I had a handkerchief and I don't. And if I don't get one, you're going to not like it. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Here, here you are. I'll let you have the empty box back. <laughs> kind of me, isn't it? <laughs> he's personable. He's not rude or he's not unkind. He doesn't push himself. Oh, he'll convict you. If you're living in sin, he will convict you of that. He'll make you clearly aware of what's right and wrong if you listen to him. But he's always a gentleman. He also is pure. His truth, his holiness, through and through he is what he is. In contrast to that, and we're not gonna, I'm not going to stay here long, but in contrast to that, the, the carnal, self-centered, self-oriented, selfish person found in Romans 8 is the exact opposite of who God is, diametrically opposed from him. Because the person who's living Romans 8, if you will, the person who's taken up with himself or herself is a person who, who has forgotten the principles of what God's trying to build and they're living just for what they think they can get. That's not who this God is. And you know this, if you're honest, when you're around somebody who's forever selfish, that's not beautiful. That's not an attractive attitude. But to God we serve is beautiful. His holiness is seen in righteousness. It's not, it's not righteousness just in the sense of a sterile life. You've been around a few folk that you know, I've never done anything wrong up till now, and I'm not about to start tomorrow. And they, and they kind of put that cloak around themselves, and they're sure that they're righteous because they've generated it themselves. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a righteousness that, it's not simply the exclusion of wrongness. It's the, it's the embrace of the concept of God living in me. Yes. And my life then being live through his strength so that the righteousness, the, the rightness that rises out of my life is the product of the Spirit of God living in me and through me. You see, New Testament holiness is founded, in, founded in and rooted on relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It's not simply a religion. It's not simply a doctrine. It's not simply a way of life. It is all of that. But that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is a relationship. You ever been, you ever been around somebody you think, man, I'd really like to get to know that person. And then you get to know them and you wish you hadn't. But there are other people who you think, oh, I'd like to get to know that person. And the more you're with them, the more you want to be with them because there's, there's richness in their walk. You don't have to second guess what they're saying. You don't have to check and see that the stuff that was in the room when they went in there is still in there when they leave. You understand? There's a beauty to that. You can relax around somebody like that. You can, if, you, if you had any hair, you could let your hair down. <laughs> some, some of us can't. Righteousness is the infusion of divine life. It is God's holiness being lived in the life of a person who embraces him. It's to trust Christ. I don't have to get up every day. And the first covenant I say to myself when I get out of bed is I'm going to live a righteous life today. If I'm living in Christ, that is naturally produced. There will be times when I face a temptation or situation that I need special help, and I'll say, Lord, help me to, help me to live that righteously. But it's not something that I have to force. It rises out of the relationship with Christ, the beauty of that relationship. It's made real through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians talks about the fruit of the Spirit is all, listen, goodness and righteousness and truth. You want to know what the fruit of the Spirit is? It's capsulated right there. Goodness and righteousness and truth. His presence includes the power to witness and live a consistent life. You can live free. You can live free from disobedience in your relationship with Christ. Amen. You can live free from known conscious sin. Not in your strength, but in his. And that's beautiful. The beauty of Christ is also seen in the manifestation of, of loveliness. In 1 Peter, let's, let's find 1 Peter if you care to go there. First Peter and uh, the first chapter. I should have had it marked and I, they don't, but we'll, we'll get there. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. He said, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit, listen, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. The beauty of holiness is seen in the loveliness of divine love. That's contrasted with, that's contrasted with the darkness of selfishness and sinfulness. And I'm not going to labor that this evening, but the, 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 the opposite of love is to be turned in on myself and do what I want to do because I want to do it without regard 
to how that affects anyone else. You see, it means to be set apart to the richness of relationship with him, with enjoying the love of God, but it also involves a love for one another. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 6, he talks about being imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering or a sacrifice. And then he contrasts that with filthiness and foolish talking and coarse jesting. All of that is in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, don't be partakers of that. There's not anything beautiful about it. It doesn't matter how our world tries to paint it up or fix it up or explain it away. There's nothing beautiful about, a, about being set apart and unlike Christ. The beauty, the real beauty in life is Christ living in us. It's the manifestation of divine love. And again, 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that Divine love suffers long and is kind and it doesn't envy and it doesn't promote itself and it behaves itself and it is slow to provocation and it rejoices in truth. It hopes, it endures. This love is expressed, it is expressed in the absence of willful sin. It embraces both who God is and who people around us are. Manifestation of this loveliness will affect how you handle your family. You know, it's, a, it's amazing to me how we can be so polite to our guests and so sharp with our family. It ought to be the opposite. If we're going to be sharp with somebody, be sharp with the guest. He's leaving anyhow. But our families ought to sense and feel and know our love deeper than anybody in our lives. The people with whom we work and interact on a consistent basis. Now, please understand, I don't mean you, you don't mistreat your guests either. But I've been places, <laughs> sorry, Maurice. You can, you, I've been places where I thought to myself, if I had to live in this house, I'd wonder if somebody doesn't need another baptism. You know? And I don't mean water baptism. Because where, where the beauty of Christ is, where, where the beauty of holiness is, there's a, there's a rich hunger to love one another, even those who are dissimilar from you. Years ago now, um, well, I'm just going to tell it, okay? I grew up in a circle where you didn't go to IH convention. And uh, if that... If that word doesn't mean anything to you, it's a, it's a big convention of holiness churches. and We weren't supposed to go, but I went. <laughs> and uh, I was invited by a friend, and he took me, and I went, and I enjoyed it. But sitting on the platform in one of the services was a fellow I'd gone to Bible college with. And when the service, I mean, when he left, when he left school and I left school, he went one direction and I went another direction and our lives pretty much were divergent. He was in ministry, just had a completely different life than mine. But I'm sitting in the pew for this service and I look up there and he's sitting on the platform and you've never done this, I know, but I begin to, I begin to judge him. 
And I said, yep, everything I've heard about that guy is true. Look, at it. if it wanted, he wouldn't be up there. And the Holy Spirit said, you don't know that. <laughs> I don't know what else happened in that service except the Lord and I had a long conversation. Because from my history, he couldn't be on that platform. <laughs> you understand me? At the close of that service, which is what they always do on Wednesday at noon, is they have prayer and fasting. And so I went up to pray, but I couldn't pray because the Lord was still talking to me about my friend. And he said to me, Claire, I, I want you to love him. It doesn't matter whether what you've heard is true or not. First of all, you don't know if it's true, so forget it. But that doesn't matter. I want you to love him. You ever, has God ever asked you to love someone you couldn't love? And so we had a long talk. And I finally said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. But I'm available. If you, if you want to love him through me, I'm available. Yes. <laughs> and he filled me with a new sense of, of what it meant to walk in, the, in love. I got up from that place of prayer and went hunting him. I wouldn't have done that before. Unfortunately, he'd gone home. And I don't have time to tell you tonight the rest of the story, but let me just tell you this. God, God gave us an incredible relationship, that man and myself. Our lives were still distinctly different. But any time he got sick, he'd call He'd come by, we'd interact, and there was a, there was a, there was a connection. Yes. I'm talking about the beauty of holiness. Amen. He also calls us not only to the beauty of righteousness and the beauty of loveliness, but he calls us to the richness of grace. Again, in First Peter, he talks about, he talks about grace. Grace. The demonstration of grace is contrasted with hopelessness and pessimism and darkness. Let me tell you a secret. Nobody on your block wants to hear you talk about how dark the world is. Some churches I go, and all I get is they're wringing their hands, waiting for the building to collapse. It's like, you, that's, that's, not, that's not who God is. That's not what our message is. Yeah, our world's messed up, but it's been messed up since the fall. Nothing's new, in case you didn't know it. Sinners still act like sinners, and truly converted people still act like saints. Now, we do have a responsibility to influence that, but there ought to be something in our life that understands, where did God bring you from? If you're a believer tonight, where did he bring you from? Where were you when Jesus Christ found you? And think about where you are. And what incredible grace has done that. I can tell you he took me from a very, very, very dark place. <laughs> and worked deeply in my life. I thought as they were singing... 
and, and they're going through some of the storms still. God's still molding as he does all of us, but boy, it's not much fun sometimes when he puts pressure on the clay, but he's wanting to make something beautiful out of us. And it's, a, it's the demonstration of his grace that does that in our lives. It's seen in holy people's desire to express grace. We stopped last night after service and a little place to get a bite to eat. And uh, I never saw the guy's face, but Melba said, there's a, there's a guy, he's, he's high on tire shine or something. He was evidently spraying it on his hands and he came in and leaned over the counter at the, at the checkout counter and stood there for about 10 minutes. And I thought, I don't, I'll never see that man again. But that's somebody's boy. Somewhere a mama had a baby that she had a dream for. And he's broken. Often we see people who are dissimilar from us and all we see is the difference. And we forget, where would I be? Where would I be if it weren't for grace? What a God we serve. Great grace. Let me tell you a story in closing. Years ago, my wife and I, we spent 17 years in Canada. And while we were there, I was asked to serve on a camp committee. And I'd come out of a situation where life had been quite stringent, strongly rule-driven, and I was a little gun-shy. You ever been a little gun shy and uh, the president of the camp and I became friends and he finally said to me one day would you we'd like for you to serve on our board would you would you come and I said well <clears throat> let me do this let me attend a couple of meetings and see what's happening and see what your focus is and see if I can fit if I'm of any value to you and if that works then I'll I'll, I'll say yes so he said, okay. So a few months later, he called me and he said, we're going to have a meeting, told me when and where. And I went. And uh, I walked in the room and met the guys. And ju but just before the meeting started, we were already seated. Just before the meeting started, a fellow walked in and he was dressed very, very carefully. He had a black suit on and black socks and black shoes and you understand me? I mean, it was, he was, he was conservative. And I said to myself, okay, that's my answer. That guy and I are not going to agree, and I don't need to fuss, and so, no, I'm not going to serve here. And the Holy Spirit said, yes, you are. <laughs> you, you know, you can argue with him. But you can't win. If, if you want him, you can't win. But I, I excused myself by saying, well, I told the president of the camp, let me come to one more meeting. I'd give the Lord and I a few more months to argue. And we did. And every time the Lord would say, I want you there. And I'd say, Lord, but you, you, know, you know that guy, man. He's strict as... 
He's, a, he's like horseradish. <laughs> that was my opinion of him. And the Lord said, I want you here. And so before the end of that second meeting, I said to the president, I'll agree to serve and let's see how it goes. I'm still trying to give myself an out. And so I did. I got on the board and things started rolling. And sure enough, within the first year, we're in a meeting. And I don't even remember the subject. It doesn't matter anymore. But a subject came up that that man and I disagreed on. And we both spoke our peace. Not harshly, but, you know, some folks have called me a little hard-headed, and I suppose that's the way it is. So we spoke our peace, and a little while later there was a recess. And everybody else got up to go get refreshments, and I'm watching this fellow with whom I've just had a serious disagreement. And he headed right for me, and I said, Lord, I told you this was going to happen. And the Lord didn't answer me. And the guy came around to the end of the table, and when he did, I did this. You understand that? I'm, re I'm ready for him. Not to argue my point anymore. I'm just ready for him. But that's not how he came. He came around the corner of that table like this. <laughs> I, had, I hadn't been used to being treated by people who disagreed with me in that spirit. He hugged me. He said, Claire Sands, we don't know each other very well, but I want to tell you something. I love you, man. Wow. That was a revelation. And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but over the next few years, we got to know each other real well, real well. He lived very, very carefully. But he also understood the beauty of holiness. He walked a righteous life, a careful, righteous life that honored Christ. But he loved largely, and his grace was without bound. I found out that in the town where he lived, he knew all of the kids who rode skateboards and he would talk to them and interact with them and invite them to events. He found out that there was a home for, for women who had been into prostitution and he began sending foodstuffs and money to help support that home. He began marking that community with his life. He finally got sick and died. He got cancer and died. A friend of mine and I drove to the funeral. We got there about an hour ahead of the beginning of the service. The church was a large church. And by the, by the time we got there, the sanctuary was already filled. We sat clear back against the sound booth and the basement filled up. I saw people there from as far left in this culture as you could go and people as far right in this culture as you could go. There were, there were horse and buggy Mennonites, Amish, and there were, there were people there whose half their hair was pink and half of it was purple if they had hair on the other half. And they were all there because one man allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him in serving in the beauty of holiness, the richness of divine grace. I want to tell you something. There's nothing 
about the Holy Spirit in our lives that doesn't create beauty. Every place he touches, everything he marks, he marks with the beauty of his presence. I'm not talking about your facial features. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about the way you live and interact with others. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let's stand together.